I have the opportunity tonight um, really to paint the backdrop of what we just uh, had an opportunity to worship and celebrate and to, to sing forth about God's love, um, his, his mercy and His grace, uh, really a picture of the cross uh, of where we stand as believers, uh, to be able to sing that and be able to say we w- want to run to God uh, and have that uh, position uh, in his eyes by the blood of Christ um, to be able to, to do that. And so the backdrop that I have to paint tonight is the fall. Um, and, and, and I hope uh, tonight as I paint that background that what we sang earlier and what we proclaim as being saved in Christ will be even brighter. You know, as we were coming here, I was watching all the, the lightning in, in the car and, and just thinking that the lightning was so bright because it's so dark behind it. It's, the clouds are so dark. And so that's my opportunity tonight um, for us to just walk through the fall, uh, specifically uh, Genesis 3 and, and this, a summary statement about the fall. It's, it's a specific uh, event in time, in history, where man first disobeyed God. And so part of painting the scene, what we've talked about tonight and seeing I've got to drop back and paint the scene of Genesis 1 and 2 before we get to the fall uh, in Genesis 3. So uh, the first part would be a little bit of review because we covered Genesis 1 several weeks ago in the, the doctrine creation. Um, so we, in Genesis 1, we learned that in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Um, and if you continue to look in Genesis 1... Um, Scripture gives us the details of the first six days of creation. Day one, um, we see light is created. Day two, sky. Three is land and vegetation. Day four, the sun, moon, and stars. The fifth day, sea creatures and birds. And on the sixth day, land, creatures, and really the pinnacle of God's creation was when he created man and and woman. Um, So I'd like to read a little bit, too, just from Genesis 1. Uh, If you'd follow me there, you can pick up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in it, its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything, all his creation, that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And so... I wanted to read that just to kind of, once again, think about what God had created, what he has provided for man. Um, we see that he, in, in 28, it just specifically says God bless man. Um, uh, we see down in 29, it's, he provides them food. Um, and, and really God's um, review of what he has created in the days 1 through 5, we see that he says it's good. And then when he creates man, sees all of his creation he makes the, the, the great uh, evaluation or proclamation that it was very good. Um, so that's Genesis 1. 
Genesis 2, the kind of camera, and starting in verse 4, the camera kind of zooms in and looks at more detail of the creation story of creating man and, and woman. Um, so I would like to continue to paint this scene, um, leading up to chapter 3 by reading a, 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 some scripture out of Genesis 2 as well. So if you'd start with me at Genesis 2, verse 7, um, I'll read. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man, the, from, man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I'm going to jump down to 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave the names of, to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep, a deep sleep to fall upon Adam man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man then the man said this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so what I really wanted to do is continue to paint this scene. And, and I would just ask you from Genesis chapter 2, I mean, what has God provided for man? Everything. And it's, everything's good. I mean, it talks about the, the ground, every tree that is pleasant in sight and good for food. Um, also, we see, I skipped over 10 through, through 14, but it's, the, the land has rivers flowing through it. I mean, and everything is perfect. It's, it's a state of paradise, and, and that's um, what some people think the origin of the word Eden comes from, and, and looking at the root of that word means uh, pleasure or delight, and they kind of take the word paradise from that. So from the land itself, um, we see from uh, his relationship with God, uh, it's paradise. They're 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 together. Uh, there's uh, he's providing for man. He's he, God is uh, providing a helper, and that's the next thing. Uh, just this perfect um, relationship that man and woman have at this point in this marriage. I mean, you think about it, Adam. You know, God shows him, and, I, and it's, it's, to me, it's kind of neat. It's like God shows Adam that all these animals he's naming is not it, and then it says, then at last. This is what Adam says. So it's like Adam even realizes that God has provided him his helper um, and his perfect mate. Um, and then we see that um, lastly, uh, you know, it, 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 I think it's neat that marriage was instituted before the fall. And we see in 24, it says, There is a man, 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And just this, this paradise that we have here. And um, I think that's so important um, because my Bible says in chapter 3, the next title is the fall. So if we don't understand where, where we were and what, what was happening in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, we don't understand the depths that they fell from. Um, and so that's what we'll walk through now. Um, like I said earlier, kind of a, a summary statement is that um, you know, it presents the fall of Adam and Eve from, from innocence and this relationship and this, this perfect environment into sin. Um, and, and really what we'll see as, as it comes through is it's from disobeying God. So, if anybody would like, um, if you feel led to, I would like for us as, as a group to read um, chapter 3 uh, in its entirety, and then I'll dig back in and, and highlight some verses. Um, so, I don't know if anybody is interested and would like to read. All right. Yes, if you don't mind. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman, woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. <coughs> For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of, took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On, on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. 
Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which, which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Thank you. So we see here at this moment that we see man and woman disobeying God. And what really Eve started and set in motion, Adam confirmed and completed. And, um, and so that I'd like for us to kind of jump in now and look at uh, some particular verses. And we'll start first with just the temptation that Satan... Um, as we know from Revelations, uh, in chapter 12, it refers to uh, Satan as the ancient serpent. And so that we can take other scripture and connect it specifically here. This is, this is Satan indwelling ser- the serpent to, to tempt Eve. And so I would ask you, um, what, what is his tactic here? What does he start out doing? Kind of going back to verse 1 and 2. There are half-truths given. Um, you know, he says that uh, your eyes will be open, uh, but he doesn't say, gives it in the wrong context. Um, we see, what are some other things that he, he does? He tries to convince them that God is holy or something. Yes. Yes, he, he takes uh, the one prohibition that God gave, the one thing, the one tree that they couldn't have. We talked in, in one and two how everything was given and everything was great. All this food, all these trees, this, this perfect environment. And there was one command uh, that really um, was given to man in 16 first. Um, uh, I say that because I'm sure at some point we'll come back and circle around and use this as a topic of biblical manhood. I know that uh, I'm sure it's high on Randy's radar, our mind, to tease some stuff up. So I just wanted to point that out, that the Lord commanded the man um, before Eve was created that he should not eat of the tree. Um, and so he takes that prohibition, one thing they can't do, and, and draws the focus there. Um, and really, that's an attempt um, to, to cast doubt in Eve's heart about God's goodness, um, what has he, he's given them, um, really questioning his motives. He questions it. It's the, the actual what God had said. Um, he also then directly lies in verse 4. Um, he says, you surely will not die, which we know that is a direct lie. Um, and so, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, Eve, in this conversation, engaged with Satan, falls to the temptation and takes of the tree. Now, I'm going to read a verse here again for us. It says, so then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit, and she also gave some to her husband that was on the other side of the garden. Now, is that what it says? No. Uh, and once again, teeing up a talk for biblical manhood, it says here the husband was with her, uh, and he ate. Um, so what, what Eve did, um, really when it comes to sin, um, she... Uh, 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 she, what she willfully did, taking of the fruit, and then Adam 
it's a sin where he didn't lead, he didn't, he didn't intervene, and he just followed. Um, so we see that kind of teed up there. Um, and ultimately, when it comes to sin, it, it's, it's, our, it's when we don't trust God. It's when we look at what God has given us, uh, his word, um, and we don't trust in him. And also, and really common to all sin is the belief that God is holding something back from us and that uh, something he has told us not to do through his word or, or through uh, a conviction in our heart. Uh, there's a tendency for us to, to think that God is holding back, but we have got to believe and hold true to that it's for our joy. It's for <coughs> he, has, he has ordained something in a way that's going to bring us joy. It's, uh, our lives are going to function in a way that's uh, going to be in his design. Um, and so what resulted? What do we see results from this? What was the result from disobeying God? Death. Okay. So we see spiritual death um, and also physical death. The physical death didn't happen immediately. We know as we study uh, further on in Genesis, it records that Adam dying and all his descendants. And, and, and probably that in itself, death, is the most concrete way we see that every day. That nobody in this room is getting out of this thing uh, um, unless Christ returns and calls us up. And, and throughout history, I mean, that is nobody, and, and so many people in the, in the Bible teaches that we should kind of know that and number our days that, so we'll be wise. It's, a, it's an area that we don't think is going to happen to us. It's going to be somebody else. Um, but So we see that, the death. Uh, but we also see kind of more, uh, at first, I want to kind of point out in verse 7, uh, this relationship that we talked about between Adam and Eve. It says, then their eyes were both open and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves long cloths. So this relationship that they had, this perfect relationship, all of a sudden there was separation between themselves. You know, they knew, um, it says they knew they were naked. And, and this isn't, you know, it was just Adam and Eve. You know, they were, they were together. It wasn't like that weird dream where you show up somewhere that you're not properly clothed or something like that. But, you know, it was just them. It wasn't anybody else around. It was just them. So it shows you their, their relationship. What they had is now all of a sudden their separation, their, their shame. Um, so we see that this sin um, is basically, it shows that even the holy gift of their physical relationship was polluted with a sense of shame. And, um, and so that's there. Um, what are some, anything else that, that jumps out to you through here um, about this, this dialogue between uh, God showing up in the garden? And the response from Adam and Eve. Okay, so we see here um, uh, one of the great things that we do see God coming uh, to the garden and calling out, and, and we can liken that to us today that God comes after us and calls us out. Um, you know, God knows where, where he is. He's given Adam the opportunity, really, for repentance, what we see in our life, the opportunity to confess and come back to God. He's given Adam that opportunity, but Adam is, is hiding. Um, says, where are you? And then he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, 
the woman whom you gave whom you gave me to me to be with me she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate so we see God he's he not only blames Eve he also blames God for putting Eve there um, and then we see Eve blaming the serpent so we see this this shift and um, uh, we see that in our own life um, uh, we see that we don't want to come to God in confession. Uh, we want to minimize our sin. Um, and uh, uh, something I wrote down uh, through studying this, and it's a statement that really just has been sitting with me. It says, there is no real confession when you partly blame someone else. So that's not truly confessing. If you're still holding on part that it's not, that I'm not the, the, the person that needs to, to truly come to God. It's, it's partly me, but partly somebody else. There's no real confession. It's just, it, it, this is my sin. Um, and this can be seen uh, in our life today. Uh, at my home this morning, while I was typing these notes out, I left upstairs to come downstairs, and my daughter just absolutely flipping out on what she was going to wear to church <coughs> and trying the whole time to convince it was my fault and Keetra's fault for her behavior. Uh, and, and saying, you know, yelling that I love you. I lo-, you know, she's yelling that she loves us, but we won't listen to her because she's having to deal with her consequences. Um, she had the opportunity, uh, uh, <laughs> and she just blew it. And then when it, the consequences came, it was a blame shift. It was all for her, trying her best to convince and put some of the blame on uh, Keetra and I, which is, is starting to get, her arguments are starting to get better, uh, so I must say. So... Um, uh, she's only five now. I don't know where, where we're going. Uh, they're so, like, they're like many attorneys. Yeah, so uh, that's a prayer request as well. If you want to write down some prayer requests for me and Keetra personally, um, having to deal with that. So jumping back into the story, um, you know, the next part is really where I want to go with the doctrine of the story. I mean, what we've covered so far is very uh, Sunday school, you know, what we learned on the felt board when we were young. Uh, knowing the story and the parts in the story. But, you know, if somebody outside of Christ are really looking at this um, just as a story and not understanding its significance in human history um, is where I want to go. I want to paint that picture and make that bridge. So uh, so what if you are here and you're saying, so what does this have to do with me? You know, this is Adam and Eve. What does this really have to do with me? Um, and my response would be everything. Um, it's... it's uh, it's pretty easy just for us to turn on the news or look on the web and see what this world has become. Um, and so we know quickly that something has terribly gone wrong. And education hadn't fixed it. You know, not, uh, our enlightenment hasn't fixed things. That this world is still in a state that is, is a sinful state. Um, and so really I, I wrote down some going back to this picture of prior to the fall and now the fall, just some contrast. So we see that respect for authority has been replaced by rebellion. A clear conscience has been replaced by guilt and shame. Blessing has been replaced by physical and spiritual death. Trust of God has been replaced by fear of God. Love has been replaced by hatred or indifference. Honesty replaced with deceit. Freedom to obey God has been replaced by enslavement to sin. Self-sacrifice has been replaced by self-centeredness. Um, and so to, to bridge this gap, um, 
there's a great doctrine that teaches us that really this is a family reunion here. You know, we, we all have Adam and Eve is in our line. You know, if we if we put a big tree on that wall, we're we're there on the tree together. Um, and so, what I wanted to do is first kind of make this this argument just from our standpoint of how we see that we are um, related and we we get things from our parents that we inherit stuff. And so, Keetra, I brought a, a picture um, tonight. To show you, you know, what we get from our fathers is not just our last name. Um, a lot of times it's genetics, and if you were in, you know, put the dominant recessive gene in the table and trying to figure all that out, we get certain eye colors and hair color and different stuff. But you can see it. I mean, you can see, and this is my father and my, my mother at uh, the prom, and, uh, and you can see the resemblance that we have uh, for our fathers. So I'll let y'all pass that around. Um, and, and our mother as well, uh, but, but scripture really goes back to the, to the man as being the, 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 I guess, the chief responsible um, person in this, this passing down the sin, as we'll see through scripture. So not only do we, we receive these, these physical things, um, we also see we inherit the sin of our father and our mother. Um, there's a statement um, Really, and, and I would say too, and how quickly um, the result of this sin escalates. And when we see in the next chapter, in chapter 4, um, uh, it goes from this disobedience of God's command to uh, the children of Adam and Eve, where there's, there's jealousy, rage, and leads to murder um, when Cain killed Abel. And then um, in, in chapter 6, um, right before the flood, there's a statement in uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the, uh, in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Um, the Apostle Paul also makes a statement in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 and verse 22. It says, for, for as in Adam all die. Um, there's also a, um, there was a French philosopher named Pascal in the 1600s um, and this this what I'm what I'm trying to to, to explain right now is, is a doctrine called original sin that uh, because of Adam's sin it is it is inherent in all of us and uh, Pascal made the statement says the doctrine of original sin seems to be an offense to reason um, like it shouldn't be that should just be on Adam and Eve that shouldn't be brought down to me and to all people but once accepted it makes total sense of the human condition when it goes back to see how we are individually outside of Christ and how this world is. Um, so um, I also want to read a verse out of Romans, uh, Romans 5, uh, verse 12. Kind of give this uh, some backbone from Scripture. Romans 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So um, we also see that, so we're seeing that, that one's capacity for sin is, is actually born in us. Um, you know, a person is a sinner before he has the opportunity to sin. Um, all have inherited this effects. And really, 
that's kind of affected us in several ways. Um, and to kind of strengthen that argument, we can look at the Psalms. Uh, if you look at Psalms 51, verse 5. Psalms 51, verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And then over in Psalms 57, uh, verse, no, I'm sorry, what is it? It's 58, verse 3. It says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Now this truth is, is contrary to what a lot of people, a lot of culture these days believe. They believe man is inherently good. Um, they might have a little problem. Uh, but they just need a little bit of help. But we see through the word of God that, it's, it's much worse than that. Um, hence the saying, really, that, uh, <coughs> that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Um, and then also, not just only that is an inherited to us, we see in our own lives and we see through the scripture of Adam and Eve that sin is also a willful uh, choice. I mean, Adam and Eve, they had this choice to make. They, had, they could be obedient to God's one command, uh, but they willfully chose um, to disobey God. So, so ultimately, we are sinners by nature and by choice. And, and particularly as Christians, by, as choice, we know the, the great verse that, that if we're tempted, God will provide us a way out. Um, and, but we choose not to take that way out a lot of times. So we choose to sin. Um, but thanks to, praise be to God that we, that's not the end of the story, what we got to sing tonight already, um, is to be able to run to him and... Um, and we'll continue to, to see that in this story as we go back into Genesis, as we finish up Genesis 3. But a quick word about sin itself, um, because that's also a, a debate, um, or how culture might want to define sin as maybe just breaking a specific law, or um, they want to just look at it as, as things you do, um, or rules to follow. When we see that sin is much deeper than all that, um, it includes our thoughts it includes our words, our deeds, and our motives. Um, we do, it includes what we, we do, uh, thou shalt not, so, uh, the things that we, we break, we definitely do. And it also includes the things that we fail to do, um, like if I'm not loving my wife well. Um, and we see this in Adam's failure to, to intervene in the story with Adam and Eve and her temptation with Satan. Um, sin is ignoring God and, and living as if you were God. Sin includes, it does include breaking God's law. Um, it includes perversion, is when you use something God created as good for evil. Um, and sin also in, includes value, anything, uh, putting, as we talk about worshiping here, putting a value on something above God, uh, which is ultimately idolatry. Um, and really is probably the chief sin of, of man. So this, these truths um, lead to the fact that all people are totally depraved. Um, meaning that every motive, every word, every deed and thought is affected and stained by sin. Um, this includes our mind, our emotions, our heart, our conscience, and our body. Um, so, so where does this lead us? And, and this leads us to the point that because God is holy and just, he must judge sin. So if we, if we go back into... Genesis 3, we will see God's judgment on the sin that occurred. 
Um, specifically to the fall, um, we see that Eve's punishment is pain and childbearing. Um, I also was doing some study on this and going back into my own home today. Um, not just cha- not just pain during childbirth, but bringing forth children, raising children. There is going to be pain. It is going to be difficult. Um, and so we saw that uh, firsthand today for sure uh, in the Miller household. Um, and we also see um, that, uh, that Adam's punishment is to work. Uh, his work now will be painful and hard. Um, and we see that... Uh, that <laughs> and we, we see that... No, no child was harmed. Yes. <laughs> also going to the fall, looking specifically, we see that... Uh, Yeah, it's just the name of childbirth. So going back into Genesis uh, 3 here, we also see that Satan lied. Uh, We talked about it specifically earlier. He said, you surely will not die. And we know that was a direct lie. Um, And I talked about earlier how this death is probably the most persistent and painful reality of the fall. So that's specifically to this story. So once again, we're in, in the story, the fall, right here in chapter 3. Now pulling that back out to mankind. Um, with God being holy and just, the scriptures teaches us that all will be judged. And I imagine it will sound much like that is outside. <laughs> so if you would take your Bibles and turn to Revelations chapter 20. <laughs> No clue I was going to have sound effects for the scripture. So I want to start here in uh, Revelations chapter 20, uh, verse 12. It says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead and were, that were, who were in them. And they were judged, each of them according to what they have done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, really, as we sit under the weight of this scripture, um, the future really doesn't look promising for us right now if we just stayed right where we are. Um, but, but God, out of his great love and mercy, has provided us a substitute. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see that that substitute for our sin was Jesus Christ. And and what I want to do, too, is, is jump back into Genesis 3 and show you God's love and mercy uh, and his provision uh, in these verses particularly. Verse 15, uh, in the midst of this curse of the enemy, um, uh, the curse of the, of the serpent, a message of hope is given. The woman's offspring is called he, says, um, verse 15, 
He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the he there, the first he is, is talking about Christ, who will one day defeat the serpent. Satan could only bruise Christ's heel, meaning causing him to suffer, but Christ would bruise Satan's head, destroying him with a fatal blow. And that's really, everybody looks at this as the, the first gospel, um, where this is, this is foreshadowing Christ and what Christ will do. Um, also in verse 21, we look at God's mercy and grace. Uh, verse 20, 21, um, we, see, we know that Adam and Eve tried to cover up their sins with fig leaves, but it was not adequate. Um, we see that God makes tunics of skin, and he provides a suitable covering for their sin. And we see that this is through the shedding of blood, which is necessary a part of the process. The first physical death should have been Adam and Eve, but it was a sin animal, a shadow of the reality that God would someday kill a substitute to redeem sinners, specifically his son, Jesus Christ. So we see here um, what God is going to do. Uh, he will judge sin, but within, but in Christ there is salvation. Um, and also, I wanted to point out one last thing with the mercy and grace of God. And really in verse 20, 22, we see in 23 that God sent them out. He drove them out of Eden. And so you think, how how is that grace? Where, do, where am I getting? Well, because if he hadn't, they would have eaten of the seed of the tree where they lived forever. Right. So they would live forever in a state of sinfulness, in yeah. this broken relationship. It would be. We would never get to die and go to heaven. Right. Exactly. And, and the grace and mercy is that even as a Christian, we're still struggling. We still fall in, in, in one day that struggle will be gone. You know, it, we will be with Christ. We will no longer have that struggle of our flesh and the sin that we're so entangled into. Yeah, it reminds me of the story Tucker the last So that leads me to the question of going through Genesis chapter 3. Um, so what does that mean for us, for, for Docs? So these truths, these truths that we're, we've been dealing with. Um, and, and there's a couple things I wrote down, and we can discuss uh, what's on your heart um, that would, would be true for Doxa. Um, I, think, I hope that, kind of like in the intro, um, that understanding the height of what we've fallen from um, that this dark despair uh, would be a backdrop, making the glory of Christ shine forth even brighter. Um, that we would we would love much because we know that we have been given, been forgiven much. Um, that we would know and deal rightly with sin and its effects. Um, we wouldn't um, sow fig leaves and try to hide sin in our lives or press stuff away. Uh, we know that uh, God sees everything. We can try to hide stuff from each other. But to be able to deal with sin and, and its effects, not minimizing it, not shifting blame, not doing partial confession, but really being broken and humbled and ultimately be repentant over that sin. Um, as a church, I, I pray that's what we are as believers um, and as a body together, um, that we would run to Christ uh, instead of hide from him, um, 
and also I pray for us as a church with these with these doctrines um, that we would understand the whole Bible and how all these doctrines play together that we're walking through. It's so easy to um, get just so fixed on one, especially as we're going through this series. But I hope as we continue through the series, we see how everything builds on on each other and how it makes the Bible and the gospel so perfect. Um, so speaking of, of looking at scripture, I pray that as a church, we, we rightly hold Romans 3.23 that says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But also as a church, I pray that we know that the following verse says, are you, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And also as a church, that we would know the entire verse given in Romans 6.23. There's so many churches that they are, are even us, we know it, we can, we can rattle that one off, for the wages of sin is... But what's the, what's, the, what's the rest of the verse? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for, as a church, to, to know it that well, you know, to, to, to know that the, that goes together. Uh, and that's what that's what we're here for and to proclaim. And um, earlier I gave you 1 Corinthians 15.22, just part of it on purpose. I said, for as in Adam all die, but the end of that verse says, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Um, and so I would like to end with the, going back to the statement that Pascal made. Uh, he made the statement that the doctrine of original sin seems an offense to reason. But once accepted, it makes total sense of the human condition. And the reason why I want to go back to that statement, because of this same, same truth that we're in Adam and we are separated from Christ, that same truth same holds true that if we're in Christ, all his righteousness is given to us. So the, so the cross and the gospel, is, is, there's, there's two parts of it. The first part is, is Christ bearing our sins, taking that off, taking that away from us. But that's only the first part. The second part of the gospel is that we're given his righteousness so that we can stand before the throne and be found blameless. So I pray that for us as a church. Um,